Hello and welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. I'm Dane Cash and we are here after the Glasgow Super Worlds ended just yesterday. We've got lots of worlds racing to talk about. It's a very exciting time. We've got new world champions across the board and we have, as ever, the bike racing analyst extraordinaire Cosmo Catalano here to share his insights. I'm excited to hear him. Cosmo, how you doing? Pretty good, Dane. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, We've also got Kit Nicholson, who is our chief Scottish correspondent, which is a pretty cool thing to have after Glasgow Worlds. Kit, how are you? I'm surviving post-11 days of mayhem. I hope it was a fun mayhem. Yeah, and it was a remarkably, well, I wouldn't say dry because it definitely wasn't dry, but it was there was a pretty decent couple of weeks of weather for Scotland. Yeah, that's good. That's good, especially after the last time the uh, Worlds came to the UK and it was... Yeah, we beat Yorkshire. Yeah. Well done, Scotland. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was nice. <laughs> it is August, though, so... True, yeah. Well, maybe that's a... <laughs> Maybe that's a sign for the future. Maybe that's what they should do if they ever go to do a Worlds in the UK. Uh, joining us again, someone who I always love to hype your results, Ruth, and I don't have to really go very far this time because you are now the the 2023 second-place finisher at Leadville, and that's pretty exciting. Ruth Edwards, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh how was your race? What were the moments that stood out? Uh, who were the unheralded riders at the Leadville Trail 100? I mean, I didn't see that many people, to be honest. You ride alone a lot of the time, <laughs> or with men, to be. Yeah. Um, but I rode with this lovely guy called Jack. He helped me out for a long time. So thanks, Jack. And moments Cheers, Jack. That stood out yeah. was probably the time that someone played Dancing Queen when I was climbing Powerline and I just couldn't help but laugh and sing while climbing a terribly steep climb on my mountain bike. <laughs> that seems like something that people should try to emulate at future races. Get some ABBA going when you're going up a hard climb. I like that. Uh, yeah, well, Ruth, we are very excited for you. Uh, it's pretty cool when you are looking through race results and you see the name of a person who you're going to be podcasting with uh, <laughs> coming up. That, that's that's pretty cool. I think it means that uh, Green Mountain Stage Race uh, Mountains Classification winner Cosmo Catalano, you got to get back out there. Uh, category category four yeah. B, I believe. Okay, we okay. should, we yeah, should yeah, specify. Yeah. I don't want people we to be get looking back out for there. my good results when they are <laughs> they are. They're good for people who aren't good at racing. If you get rid of all the good people, I am a solid racer. Uh, all right, let's talk about all the action this weekend. It's going to be fun. we got we got all kinds of racing going on in the past few days. But first, let me remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, that uh, this podcast and all the other podcasts we do, Wheel Talk and Placeholders and Geek Warning, Everything we do over at escapecollective.com, all of those things are member-funded. And that means that if you're enjoying them, it'd be really cool if you could become one of our members. If you could join the cool club over here at the Escape Collective. You should head on over to escapecollective.com join and check it out if you haven't already. If you have, then thanks. We appreciate it. But if you haven't, escapecollective.com join. You can sign up. 
become part of this very cool community and you'll be supporting all the cool things that we're doing. So yeah, check it out. All right, we've got world's action to cover. I think we're going to spend most of the show talking women's road race because women's road race, just road racing in general, I think usually has more things to talk about than a time trial. But we'll start with the TTs because they were chronologically first. Uh, On the women's side, I think the the biggest news, other than just the result, is that the pre-race favorite did not finish the race. Marlon Racer uh, dropped out of the race in the middle of it. Chloe Digert went on to take the win, which was not particularly surprising, given that you know she was the second favorite and the first favorite was out. Uh, yeah. What do we think about what, what the result means for the future? I personally was really impressed with Grace Brown. Six seconds behind Chloe Diger. was not. I did not expect that quality of a ride. Uh, so that was really impressive from, from the Australian. And then Christina Schweinberger of Austria was really all over the, 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 the place this weekend. She was very much in the mix on both the, the TT and the road race. I think she's someone I've been enjoying watching all season long. Uh, it was a little bit easier to, in the earlier season because she was the Austrian road champ. So she, you could see her doing a lot of support work. I think she raced really well in support of, I want to say, Marta Troyan in the break at Roubaix. She did a lot of kind of chase uh, interrupting uh, in the closing meters. If you remember Roubaix, it was super touch and go whether or not that break would escape for a while. Um, and yet, I mean, you, clearly she's coming into form. She's really, really strong, and uh, we'll talk about her more in the road race. We have a piece up at escapecollector.com about Royser and her her leaving of the TT. Uh, and, you know, of course she races for the, the super team that is SD Works, which, you know, they, they showed their superness yet again in the road race. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is... It is a reminder that, that even the, the very, very best riders, uh, sometimes they just need to take a break. Uh, and then on the other side is the winner, Chloe Dygert, who obviously she's a talented time trialist. This is not a surprise. <laughs> but her results this year, it's really been the first season where we've seen her doing a very ex- extensive European racing campaign. And she was in La Vuelta. She, rose, uh, she rode at the Vuelta Burgos. She took a stage win at Ride London. And then she uh, raced the Giro. And I think with this result, I would would have to imagine that she sees this as a successful season. I mean, it's been a pretty impressive run of results up to this point. And I think this is the big, you know, the big international win that will really crown things off. And I have to say, I I think we're going to see her continue to uh, grow and develop as a road racer. Uh, but it's obvious that the, the kind of the base talent is there for for success. I mean, she's she's a TT and also track racing, by the way, um, superstar. And she just needs to get better at, at uh, racing, you know, when there's other people around. Yeah, I think it's super fun to see her race the road kind of all year. I think historically the U.S. and the time trialists don't really race that much road. So particularly when it comes down to world selection and olympic selection just have a rider that is really really competitive in the road races is is really cool and fun to see it was sad she 
wasn't able to start the road race because she was sick, I think. Um, and I know Chloe probably would have liked to win the time trial by more than five and a half seconds or six <laughs> seconds to Grace Brown. She definitely gets more competitive with herself than I think anybody else. Um, but yeah, I think super, super good win for her and confidence. And it seemed like she'd been really training hard for it recently, but she never really seems to have a very smooth road. I've known her for I don't know, since 2014 or something. And it felt like every year she has an injury or illness or something. So the fact that she has been riding really strong this year has been cool to see. Yeah, I think that that's been a big part of her kind of career so far is just these constant battles with injury and and illness. Uh, But she's still only 26. I mean, uh, you would think that she's got some big years ahead of her. and, And I think that's a good sign. And with the TT result and the fact that Okay, now she's raced the the Vuelta, the Giro. Like she's she's getting that under her feet, and I think we're going to see more success from her with the innate talent that she has, the engine that she has. It's it's hard to imagine she wouldn't have more success going forward. So, congrats to Chloe Dygert and the U.S. Uh, for for taking a world title in the TT. Uh, on the men's side, we had the nation that was favored to win did indeed win the race, although one of their riders was disappointing. Uh, and, and he's usually <laughs> not that disappointing. Uh, okay, yeah, okay, he finished, like, up there, but that's he was a favorite to win. It was, his, about, was, his, was his road race disappointing because he didn't win that, too? Uh, well, he Definitely finished second the Belgians. Race, at least. It wasn't even close in the time trial. It wasn't close in the road race. He was, like, two and a half minutes down. Second <clears> is still second. Uh, and Welfenart was not there in the TT, but his his teammate for the day, his his compatriot Remco Evenepoel, took the win, and thus exchanged his road race rainbow bands for TT rainbow bands. Uh, really nice ride from Remco. Uh, it was a very entertaining, I would say, as TTs go, battle in that we had kind of the changing of hands of the of the hot seat. Josh Tarling, the the Welshman, was the real surprise of the day uh, in, in that he spent some time in the hot seat ended up finishing on the podium third overall third in the I predicted TT. this by the way I don't think I told anyone so I was not surprised at all just, why, didn't, just why didn't you say it why didn't you tell us um, because I was trying to I don't know stay awake probably in the middle <laughs> of the, the week of chaos now he, he absolutely destroyed the British national uh, championships earlier this summer yeah. And um, he has also absolutely dominated the um, domestic UK time trial scene, which, as you're probably aware, a bit like hill climbing, it's huge. And it's what Alex Dowsett made his name through. So to, the Josh Tarling was on the podium is absolutely no surprise to most British fans, I think. So he's 19 years old. I think that's... And enormous. That's the surprising <laughs> part of this. Yeah, he is, uh, is 1.9 metres in uh, feet. Well, the, if you look at the, the podium picture, you've got uh, when they're still all on their respective steps, they're all the same height. And so when you consider that, that Remco is, I don't know, eight inches above Ghana and a further six inches above Tarling, and they're all of the same height. Right. That goes there to show go. just about the sort of difference you've got. <laughs> it looks like he's about 6'4 in, uh, in the Imperial units. Uh, yeah, he's a tall guy. But only 19 years old. And to go out and... and do that with the elites so yeah he was the junior tt champ last year but to go straight from that to being uh, on the podium against some pretty big names again we 
we've mentioned Evanapool and Waffenart, but there's also, yeah, Philip Ogana, the two-time champ, was second. And then most of the other big TT teams in the world, with the exception of the guy who destroyed everybody in the TT of the Tour de France, Jonas Vingago was not there. Uh, but yeah, Josh Harling, heck of a ride. And I think any of Grenadiers have to be pretty happy that the 19-year-old kid, I mean, he's, he's a kid, is, is already this good. Uh, but Remco doing Belgium proud and helping to maybe take away the sting a little bit of the of the Belgians getting beaten by their neighbors, the Dutch, in the men's road race. Uh, and it was a close battle in the end between Ghana and Evenepoel. So I think the, the big story, uh, other than the you know Tarling stunning everybody, well, okay, I guess not Kit, but uh, <laughs> the rest of us who don't follow the UK time trial scene and who maybe just didn't expect him to be this good this early. The other big story, I think, was Ghana kind of coming back. Because coming into this CT, Ghana had not really done that much in the biggest TTs. Yes, he had done a really great job to win the overall in two stages of the Tour de Wallonie, but that's not the biggest race in the world. And, uh, you know, he didn't win any TTs at the Giro, which is like Ghana and, and Giro TTs. You know, that that's that's his thing. But he got beaten by Evanapool there. Uh, and yeah, he did get beaten by him again here at Worlds, but... Uh, all in all, I was very impressed. I think he really showed that he is very much still in it. Back in the TT game, he was just 12 seconds off of Evanapool on a course that I think suited Evanapool pretty well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that little climb at the end um, was perfect for, for Evanapool. But also, I mean, Ghana is historically a bit of a power time trial. This isn't easy. That kind of, if it's a flat TT out and back, it's got his name all over it. So this is a bit more hilly than he than might have suited, well, Ghana, circa World Championship um, titles. So I wonder if, I mean, he's been climbing really well this year um, and last year, actually, um, in the, the Giro. Um, I think he even won a mountain stage from the breakaway granted last year, I think, wasn't it? So I wonder if there's a little bit that he has been targeting this, to peaking at this moment and knowing that he's got to, you know, he's no match against Evanpool in a hill climb. But if he's going to do his power thing and do well on the climbs, he can sacrifice other time trials to go for this one by working on his climbing more. Um, obviously, it didn't quite work out, but it was, like you say, he and so many others this past week have peaked at the right moment um, and shown what they can do on the biggest stage in the biggest targets. Yeah, but to that point, I mean, it's been very much in the TTs that he has not quite been as his dominant old self because... In the you know mass start events, he's been really impressive this year, finishing second at San Remo and overall taking second overall in some GC races earlier this year is really impressive. Uh, so and maybe just sort of a reorienting of his of his priorities. But yeah, he still managed to finish second in the World CT. So good on Philip Ogana. And he did still win a world title. He did win the IP on the track. Very close. He did. Yeah. Exciting. He did. Race. He rode around inside. On very fast on a wooden course, very fast, um, and that is something that we should keep in mind. He and so did Chloe Digert, so, so a bunch a of other names Pecky. who did. Pr- so did lots well. of Pecky. We're going to talk about one of them pretty soon, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were quite a few. Uh, we we talked, I think, a lot about the the expectations for riders who are trying to do multiple things at this at this world, and I think that the big focus was mostly on uh, Vanderpool and trying to you know do the double of road and mountain, but. Good on all the track riders for all the various titles they won 
on track and road, which is actually quite a lot of the big names who were involved here were competing on the track as well as the, the road. And yeah, uh, Pogacar, Tadej Pogacar was in the TT as well. He's a rider who sometimes has done a pretty impressive TT. I'm thinking of a certain Tour de France a few years ago. I'm thinking of this year's Tour de France where he walloped Wout van Aert, but just wasn't quite as fast as Jonas Vingago. He was decidedly less brilliant against the clock this weekend. Yeah, I think with Pogacar, it's most likely a case that he was still on his knees from the road race. And a very easy, he'd said before the World Championships that he was already knackered and there was very little chance he was going to the Vuelta despite everyone begging him to for the desperate showdown between Evenepoel, Pogacar and Vingigo. But, I mean, he was... I don't, I don't know if it's actually been withdrawn but um, because it probably ought to be, but he was fined after the road race for missing the mixed zone um, because... So post-podium. Um, so he'd got his, his medal... Um, having beaten Mads Pedersen in the sprint for third, which ought to show us just how hard that race was. Um, but he had to be escorted away by his team staff because he was about to collapse and he was so utterly exhausted from the road race that he needed medical attention. Um, and he he looked dazed in every interview, or every photograph, even in those podium shots um, following the road race. So I think he was only half there at the time trial. And it's quite, I mean, in a way it's, and we've said it at this Tour de France this year, uh, even more so than we did last year. You know, he has shown that he's not this automaton who just rinses everybody on whatever terrain he tries his hand. Um, whether it's Flanders or the, I don't know, some big mountain in the Alps. But he is fallible and he gets tired and he's clearly very, very, very tired. And if he was to turn up at the Vuelta, he would not be the Pogacar that we want him to be. Um, so it's quite kind of... It's quite nice. No, that's a horrible thing to say. It's quite kind of humanising and and uh, I don't want to use the word relatable, but I just have, so I will. Um, you know, sometimes you need a break. And I think this kid does um, after handing bottles up to his girlfriend. I think they should go on holiday, frankly. Uh, Kit, would you say that he looked cream crackered to you? Uh... <laughs> yes, I think I think that would be an accurate <laughs> summation of how he felt. Yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah, Tata Pogacar, thanks for entertaining us for the past several months. Now go take a break. You've earned it. A uh, couple other storylines. One, I think, I wonder whether Tobias Foss will will do anything to come close to his world title in the near future. Uh, he was not a favorite going in despite being the defending champion, and he finished 11th, and I... Yeah, I'm kind of curious to like see where he goes from here in his career. Uh, he had a brilliant ride, obviously, at last year's GT, uh, and since then, not not too much. So, still only 26. He's got time, but I do wonder what what's uh, what's going on with Tobias Foss and, and whether he's gonna kind of be be able to get back to that at some point in his career. He did beat Stefan Kung and Stefan Bissiger, and quite a lot of other big names. The Swiss Stefans. Uh, the Swiss Stefans. Yeah. Um, so Stephen Kung, probably another one that we'd have thought might have done yeah, better. Kung no, was it wasn't a, a course that suited him. I think maybe it was but, also um, cream cracker from the road race. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it was a... I was actually... Yeah, I don't know. I think 11th is obviously not what you'd hope from the reigning world champion. Yeah. Uh, but, and speaking uh, of yeah, it was, former winners, uh, thoughts 
to Rowan Dennis. You know, sympathy for Rowan Dennis, who finished in the top ten, uh, but had a real, a real bummer of a last, I don't know, one minute of his world's racing career when he crashed in the finale. And it just, uh, I don't know, probably not the best way to end your your storied world's TT career that includes two previous wins. Again, still finishing seventh. It's a heck of a ride from Rowan he, Dennis. He's had a strange career, right? It hasn't been super typical. Um, yeah, for that's a true. Variety it's been of an reasons. atypical career. <laughs> um, and it's sort of, I mean, I won't want to say it's appropriate. I don't wish anybody misfortune in the last bit of their road race, but I think he still showed he has tremendous talent even as he winds down his career um, and maybe has encountered a, a typical misfortune um, alongside that talent. So. And he probably wasn't going to win, was he? I mean, even no, even though yeah, he I, I, clearly, you know, he didn't just leave two minutes in that sure, last minute. But sure. um, yeah. All right, that's the TTs. Remco Evenepoel, your men's champ. Chloe Dyke, your women's champ. Let's talk road race, where the favorite won. Cosmo. Yep, that's it. Wait, that was it. Lot of well, yeah. Give me, give, me the, give me the rundown here. <laughs> this was, Thirty thing, seconds. Did things happen between the start and the finish? Uh, <laughs> no, um, I guess you tell me. Uh, you know, similar. Uh, we've seen the road course with the men's race. There were fewer laps on the circuit. Uh, we saw a lot of people trying to do stuff very early, even before Crow Hill. We can talk about that later. Uh, for me, the big move of the day came around 74K to go, where Elise Chabe of Switzerland went clear solo and stayed there for about 30 kilometers until uh, all the Dutch women decided to chase at the same time. The remaining Dutch women, I should say. Um, and... At about 27k to go, I think we saw Annemiek van Vloten um, lead an attack that pulled away a group of seven, two Swiss riders, two Dutch riders, uh, Schweinberger, uh, Kopecky, and Lizzie Dignan, of all people. Um, and it was a tactically kind of touchy group. I think we had a lot of a lot of the Dutch and the Swiss kind of looking at each other, especially because they know each other. And Annemiek van Vloten and Demi Vollering didn't seem to be entirely on the same page. I wouldn't quite say they were arguing with each other, but there seemed to be some reluctance or confusion around whose turn it was to pull and who was going to follow what move. Uh, eventually, Cicely Utrup Ludwig tried her luck around 7K to go, and Kopecky went with her, uh, opened up a gap, and then over the top of the climb they attacked on, uh, Kopecky really popped the top, immediate separation. Uh, yeah, and no one was going to catch her. She was, I think we'll talk about this more, but she looked super confident all day and rode it in solo for the win with Vollering just managing to kind of step ladder her way up to uh, Utrip Ludwig and take second uh, right on the line. Yeah, the team dynamics always make worlds interesting. It, 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 that, that's true every year in every race, particularly when in this race, that final group, many of those riders are trade teammates. It was very much an SD Works dominated finale, but they're n- none of them are teammates here at this race. Uh, and that made things very interesting, maybe more interesting than they would have otherwise been. I, I think definitely more interesting than they would have otherwise been. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think it really played to Kopecky's favor um, because the, you know you had, I wouldn't say neutralizing, effect between Vollering and uh, Reusser, because they both know how strong they are. Like, they train together a lot. And I think Kopecky really knew that if she got the right moment with the right rider, which she did with with, with Utrup Ludwig trying that that full power break, that she could kind of leverage that uh, against them. I think we also saw Vollering cramping up a little bit, too. 
Uh, she was not, I mean, she unclipped and stretched her leg out uh, after following a, an attack uh, earlier in the race before the big breakup. But I, I definitely, I don't necessarily feel like we saw a, the, the famous situation of trade teams interfering with a nationally contested race is the 2000 Olympics where you had two team telecom guys ride away together in, in a team time trial. Um, and we didn't see something like that, but I agree it added kind of a depth to the to the tactical situation. Um, not that Kopecky needed the help to win, but I think it played to her favor. Yeah, let's go back in time a little bit where the race definitely was active from a pretty long ways out. Attacks from big names. And this is true on the men's side as well. We saw some, uh, maybe this is this is something that people learned over the course of the week watching the other races. I mean, when you watch the juniors do it first and then you got the elite men, it was definitely a race where big names were active early. Yeah, you saw Dignan and uh, Shabe, who both were super active later in the race, or uh, active in a breakaway at 130k to go. Like, I think some of this was to sort of take uh, the, the sting out of the big climb on the course, the Crow Hill Road. I, it, I'm thinking particularly of Blanca Vache, who ended up winning the U23 title. She got to that climb and immediately soft pedaled. It really seemed like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm going to climb this as easily as I possibly can, save my matches for the rest of the race. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it was a course that really, despite all the pre-race complaining, like fostered aggression, fostered moves, got people to try stuff. And I'm 100% behind that. Especially if they watched the under 23 men the day before when it was pretty much carnage. And that was the only day when, I mean, I thought the, court, the circuit was great, if maybe edging towards a few too many corners. Um, especially when it was, you know, you're coming down a really steep uh, descent and then straight into a 90 degree turn. And when it's wet, that was chaos. And it, that was the case on, on Saturday. So I did wonder if maybe the women would have looked at that and thought we've got to make it hard before we arrive at the pinch points and corners and steep ramps. And I, so I think there was an attempt at that, although there was still a pretty large bunch at the beginning of the laps. And yet, before they'd even finished the first full lap, um, even Kopecky was starting to make some punchy accelerations to try and whittle things down so I definitely think that you know that circuit and the routes leading into the circuit kind of it gave us a real open book while at the same time letting us you know there, there were a few key scenarios that could play out and I think we saw one of each of them um, with early moves being successful and the weather playing a hand as well. Yeah Kopecky I mean to that note about her making accelerations she was the pre-race favorite you know, the, the, the previews really liked her chances. The odds makers liked her chances. Kaylee said on uh, our, our editor-in-chief, you know, called her the favorite, and he's really growing into this role of actually predicting race winners correctly recently. Uh, so good on him for that. Uh, and, that, yeah, she, she rode like that was the case this week, this weekend. She, she rode like she was the favorite. She clearly had this sense that all eyes were on her and it was going to be all about her trying to kind of make this win for herself in, in a way that's a little bit different from when she's racing with SD works and she usually has someone else that might also be a big favorite here. She was Belgium's big option and, and she delivered. Yeah. I think at first I was like, Oh, I hope she's not doing too much. Like it just seemed like she was kind of following so many things. And while other people were hesitating or not wanting to burn their matches, like we've just said, it was such a hard course. So I'm sure there was some hesitation in like wanting to follow everything but 
I, th- I think I thought that for like maybe less than a minute before I was just like, no, she is not going to lose this bike race. There's no way this woman loses this bike race today. She's just racing. Like she's not going to let anyone get away from her. And it just seemed to me like, I don't know, she wasn't getting tired. And when she did finally attack over the top, um, she just had this massive gap immediately, like it on everybody. And so it was, I don't know, it was pretty awesome. It's quite often quite, I don't know, you, you come into a race and um, if there's a big favourite and they go on to win it, it can be quite disappointing. Um, but this was the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, we had the outcome that everyone was expecting, but it was there was no shortage of thrill and the way that it played out, um, even if it was the face we, you know, that was inevitable. Um, but I think part of that also is just the fact that she, that this race began way before yesterday for her um and and because we've been told that she's been doing all these commesses with junior men junior boys um back home in belgium to really get into that aggression the attrition rate the carnage um the being in the right position at the right time and also the the, the sort of flow of that sort of race where it's all stop start and everyone's for themselves so i think that sort of um the narrative that she has wrote out for us, written out for us over the course of the past few months, and with her dominance on all terrains. Um, you know, we might not have been surprised if she'd gone out the back pretty quickly because she ought to be pretty damn tired by this point. But at the same time, she showed that she was, you know, she was there. She knew what she wanted to do, what she needed to do, and she was going to bloody well do it. And no one was going to get in her way. Yeah, she was really impressive in her post-race interview. I mean, I I was crying um, for sure watching that, just thinking about, you know, she's had an amazing season, but like she said, she's also had a really rough year with the loss of her brother and just like, just, yeah, a really hard time for her. And so I'm sure she was, she just probably had a lot of passion um, inside her to win. And it was, I think she she was just a really cool champion and really awesome to watch and hear. A lot of relief as well there. Yeah, I think so. That's what I was going to say with Super Worlds, like with her track stuff, you know, heading into this, like this has been a super stressful focused week and it just kind of be road race and done, like everything finished, you know, champagne and pizza. I forget who said that. I think it was a Sicily Trip Ludway. That was Trip Ludway, yeah. And I mean, you could, you could just see the relief kind of between the tears in her, in her, um, in, in Kopecky's, uh, post-race interviews. I, I did not cry, but I definitely felt the emotions. So, to your yeah. point, Kit, about this was the favorite winning, but it was still very exciting. I think there's a lot of things going into that. There, there's a, a big part of that is that Belgium has not had a women's road champ in a very long time. And Kopecky has really been it's just spearheading this sort of this, this evolution in women's cycling in, in Belgium, which... As she said in her post interview, the, the men's side, we all know it's sort of like a, it's a real heartland for cycling. And, and, and she kind of pointed out that the men's side obviously has lots of success. But for the women, this is a very, very, very long time coming. And I think that was uh, a cool uh, storyline to watch, particularly when so many of the other favorites for the race are Dutch. And it was sort of like, yes, Kopecky was the number one favorite. But as in any women's road race, the Dutch are always lurking, and, and it's not easy to beat them, especially right now when, when Demi Vollering is, is riding as well as she is. Uh, so Kopecky riding the way that she did, I, th- I think if she had been, like if Kopecky had been a young rider who was feeling pretty good but not awesome, 
the the sorts of the ways that she rode might have been the subject of criticism. Oh, why is she chasing down this attack, or why is she doing all this stuff? Uh, but she was just so strong that it shows. It's sort of the other side of that. It's like, oh, here's what can happen if you're this good. You can just chase everybody down, and and then despite being almost certainly the best sprinter in that group, you can just leave them behind if you feel like it. Uh, <laughs> I figured she would wait for the sprint because she almost certainly would have won the sprint, but she just decided, nah, I'm gonna. I'm going to go off on my own and, and uh, drop everybody in the end. And it worked, and it was awesome. Yeah, the, I think the takeaway from that race was there's only one Kopecky, and that would also have been the takeaway if she'd lost because um, of the domination in the other teams. But, yeah, I think she was just an absolutely worthy winner. Yeah, and on the year, that makes her the Flanders and World Championship winner, which is, yeah, and in addition to her track results, her incredible Tour de France where she won the the points title and finished second. That was a real stunning ride for her to finish second overall. It's just been a really great year for Lada Kopecky. Any, uh, in general moments that kind of stood out from the race that we haven't covered or that might've flown under the radar a little bit. I, I think Vollering's battle back to second was really good. I think it was some of the grittiest racing I've seen her do. Not necessarily the best. Uh, she maybe seemed a little tired was obviously cramping. Didn't have the best team support. I shouldn't say it was bad. It was just, awkward. <laughs> That's really the best way to put it. But she managed to kind of, I mean, after she was cramping, after Kopecky got away, she kind of got into a move with Royster. They worked fairly well. She seemed to rest and recover a little bit, even though she was rolling through, and then broke clear from that and really chased Utrecht Bloodway down, like in the final 500 meters of the race uh, and won the sprint. And it was just very... Like it wasn't, it was not your typical Estee Works style win, right? It was, it was just everyone's, everyone's cream crackered. She's, she's just doing everything she possibly can, fighting and biting, tearing, whatever to get through and managed to take second behind someone who wasn't going to lose. Uh, and I thought that was, it's not the racing we see Vollering have to do very often. And it's cool to see it, that she can do it if she has to. But right before she cramped, she attacked on the steep climb and she started attacking like they were just bridging back up to I can't remember exactly who it was, but I think it was Kopecky and there was like maybe two or three of them. But she had just been gapped and they were coming up fast on the climb, but she attacked and while she was still way behind them, which I found to be a bit confusing because she used so much energy and then she was only just next to them, and then everybody or Royso, I can't, I'm, I should have looked it up exactly who it was that she was in with it with before I jumped on here, but I didn't. And but whoever it was, just like at the top of the climb, all just got onto her wheel. So she did this massive effort, essentially behind, next to, and just in front of everybody, and then came around the right hand corner at the front, and that's when she was kind of stretching just after. So I was like, I don't know if she had in her brain like this is the moment I'm going to go, this is my point, I'm going to do it anyway, but it just seemed like. Like kind of a really big waste of energy at that point. Like it didn't get her any further than where she was. Um, so that was the only thing I really saw from her that I was like, oh, that seemed kind of confusing. But she did always like battle to try and get, you know, that second position is for sure impressive. Um, but it seemed like she just wasn't being like as thoughtful with her energy there. And she seemed like she was probably the most marked in that group. And she had to do a lot. Well, I don't know if she had to do m most work, especially she had a, albeit awkward teammate as well um, until she punctured out. But yeah, I think I think uh, although Kopecky obviously gesticulated wildly several times and looked a bit frustrated at times, I think for Vollering, 
it must have been a pretty frustrating race because she would have been, you know, she had the favourite status, but also with a team that they really ought to have delivered something. And they did. They got silver medal. That's, that's great. But she looked so many times like she just had the burden of the whole race on her shoulders, having to drag groups back together, attacking in odd places. And um, so it, it looked like a hard final few laps for her. I was impressed uh, by the presence of mind of everybody else around Demi Vollering whenever there was a gap because they very much you know, told, told themselves, we are not going to work. We're going to make Demi Vollering do it. And she did. And I thought that was impressive. And I'm sure that was really, really, really annoying for her. But for everybody else, it was smart racing. And they did a good job of, of not making themselves work more than they had to. And she was constantly having to close down gaps. And I think everyone knew she was going to. And she did. So it worked out pretty well for everybody else. And again, frustrating for her, but uh, that's bike racing. Speaking of other riders, Kit Nicholson gave me the idea for that segue, by the way. Listeners, you should know. Uh, let's talk about some of the unheralded folks in this race. Ruth, I know you had one, so I'll let you, I'll let you start. I thought it was really awesome to see Lizzie Dagnan really racing her bike. I think she's raced for Trek um, a fair bit this year as a pretty key member of the team lead outs we've seen her on the front of the race before it's um actually the the pointy part but she's been doing a ton of teamwork for trek this year and today oh today the yesterday we got to see her you know race for herself and really put in some good attacks and she looked like she was like really suffering and doing everything she could to be there and i just thought that was really fun you know as someone we've seen race for a long time but maybe not have any results in a in a while um good to good to see her do such a strong race and on a course that she knows as well she's won in glasgow twice at least um so yeah she was on happy hunting ground i think it's a course that just sort of suits her talents when she's at her best uh and yeah to finish sixth here was a really strong ride for her and i think uh yeah really cool to watch i I really enjoyed watching her finishing well in in the race Uh, anybody else I was going to, I'm probably going to butcher the name, uh, but uh, Justine Hecare, I think is how you say it, uh, was a Belgian teammate of Kopecky's who really controlled the main peloton behind um, Shabe's break. Um, I wouldn't say she chased her down. I think she was, Shabby had a minute for most of the time she was up the road. But we saw throughout the, the week that this was a tough course to really control and set tempo on. And she just kind of parked at the front and held the race uh, until... The Dutch came forward to try and pull that back, and I don't think that's—I don't think that's easy on this course. I think that's a lot of work, um, and it was, you know, pretty instrumental to Kopecky's win. So, yeah, she's kind of coming to her own this year. Had a really nice uh, start to the season. Very last day of uh, the Setmana Ciclista in uh, Valencia, she snuck into a move that basically propelled her right to the overall win there, and uh, yeah, another strong ride at Worlds. Also, we should we should say that Cecily Etrup Ledwig was, I, I think, uh, really impressive on the day. I think she made the like she she was the one whose decisions and, and tactics and you know move. I think everything else kind of developed around that in the end, and uh, she still finished third. I was pretty heartbroken that she got beaten at the at the line for the silver medal. It was close, and she had worked so hard. Uh, but Demi Vollering is good, and she'll she'll beat you sometimes. But anyway, chapeau to Utrup Ludwig for finishing on the podium there. And uh, yeah, really, really entertaining finale all around. Uh, 
a minute, two minutes, something like that, after the race ended. We got to see Annemiek van Vleuten roll across the line and kind of bidding farewell to the fans. I thought that was pretty nice. Uh, she seemed uh, to really be enjoying the moment, and that was great. Uh, I'm sure she would have wanted things to have played out a little bit differently in the race, but still good to see her kind of enjoying that that farewell. All right, so that's, uh, that's Worlds. Congrats to all the winners. Uh, congrats to... The likes of Tom Pidcock and Pauline ferrand Prevot and the mountain bike races, all the track champions, all of the, you know, artistic cycling champions who we've not named, but good on you guys for, good on you for doing what you do. Uh, yeah. Cycle ball? Yeah, that too. Yep. All right. That's it for us. We've been pretty serious for long enough today. I think we can now go be unserious for the rest of the week. Cosmo, Kit, Ruth, great having you on the show. Thanks for joining, and we will see you all when we see you. Have a good one.